Stand to your feet with your Bibles in your hands. What a joy it is to be with you all this morning and to continue together in worship. Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 as we are going to continue our series through the book of Corinth, 1 Corinthians. My heart is just overwhelmed with God's grace this morning as we have already experienced him together in worship. Now we're going to go through For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues. But even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets. So the church may be built up. Over to verse number 20. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law, it is written by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and the outsider or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Today we want to tag uh, this text, Worshiping Christ Together. Worshiping Christ Together. You may be seated in the name of Jesus. Worshiping Christ Together. Uh, Let's pray. Uh, Gracious Father, I just thank you for 
allowing us to gather together as your people this morning. Father, we thank you for the truths that were sung, Lord. And I pray, Lord, at the conclusion of this sermon that we as a church would be able to shout amen. It is true. Father, I pray, Lord, that you, Lord, would just uh, allow us, Lord, to, to have pure eyes this morning. For you said, blessed are the pure in heart. Allow us to see purely, Father. Unclutter our minds, unclutter our hearts so that we would experience you through your word. Now, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my redeemer and my strength. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. What a joy it is to, to be with you all this morning and to uh, be able to go through such a, a great text, an important text, a misunderstood text, a text that the church needs to be clear on uh, here today. It's 25 verses, so we won't be able to touch every single thing in this text, but my goal is to give us a, a good enough uh, overview and to dig in at certain points so that we would be clear on what the Bible has to say. When my wife was in college at Michigan State University, she was a part of what is called uh, the Gospel Choir. And Michigan State has a very good gospel choir. But what ended up happening is a lot of people during the time that she was there ended up joining an apostolic church a more charismatic church, a church that has many strengths, but like every church and every denomination has some weaknesses. And one of the, the weaknesses of uh, this particular church was that they emphasized or overemphasized uh, more uh, charismatic gifts, such as the gifts of tongue and the gifts of prophecy. And what happened during this time is when they would gather together to worship uh, during the, their, their practices uh, for the gospel choir is that uh, the, the leader of the gospel choir, along with the, the chaplains, those who were set aside to pray and to be prayer warriors, they emphasized tongues and spiritual gifts to the point that people who did not speak in tongues or who did not believe uh, that the gifts should be exercised in the way that they were exercising it often left felt feeling guilty, feeling ashamed, and feeling confused. I remember moving to Louisville and talking to my wife uh, about this as she was really wrestling with this issue and, and leaving choir practice feeling uh, almost less than a Christian. People doing rehearsal would just speak in tongues and begin to uh, say, say, come down for prayer, God's got a word for you, and to speak a prophetic message. There was one guy who uh, joined the gospel choir and who ended up joining this church that when he first came to campus, I had the joy of walking with and discipling. i never forget he came to the Bible study that I was uh, one of the leaders over and we would spend time together, we were digging in the word, and he was growing. Well, he ended up leaving our Bible study and our movement and he ended up joining this church. And, and I remember talking to him on campus and feeling like now as I talk to him that that maybe even my Christianity in his eyes should be questioned because I wasn't uh, demonstrating the gifts of the Spirit in the way that this church was. 
I'll never forget, there was a, a movement that some, one of the Christian organizations wanted to do for freshmen where they had all the Christian organizations and Bible studies uh, meet in a great uh, auditorium. And what they did is they had all the uh, freshmen there and and each of the the, uh, uh, Bible studies or or churches that were on campus gathered and you got a two to three minute spiel to tell the students where you all met, what days you met, and kind of what's your emphasis in in Bible study or worship, how you came about. And for for the most part, it was just a, a wonderful experience Uh, The organization leaders were all kind of on one accord that we weren't trying to build our own kingdoms, but that we genuinely wanted uh, freshmen to know where to find Christian fellowship on campus. Well, this one guy that I had discipled and kind of poured into, it was his turn to get up and speak. I had just spoke and told him about our Bible study and where we were located and kind of what the format looked like and was encouraging those who were available during that time or that place to consider us. Well, he got the mic, and he started speaking in tongues. And everybody was kind of looking like, okay, this is interesting. And then he kept speaking in tongues. And then afterwards, he took a minute, and he just preached and got the, everyone kind of excited and stirred up. And I'll never forget what he said after that. He says, when you come to our Bible study, that's what you're going to get. And he almost kind of, in my mind, he just dropped the mic and walked off. There was just this overemphasis of, of, of spiritual gifts and, and to a point that you, you, you begin to get the feeling that Jesus was being lost in the midst of it all. And it was more about your personal prayer language. It was more about your gifts. It was more about your personal experiences than it was about Jesus. In this text, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church of Corinth, and he's really aiming at their heart. He is is trying to get them to see that when we gather together as believers, that our time together should not be me-centered. It shouldn't just be about my experience or my gifts. Worship is a two-sided coin. Yes, on on one side it is about us getting something and and receiving when we come together, but but the other side of the coin is an even more important side. It's about us glorifying Jesus, us showing off Jesus. And encouraging other people believers. If you have one side without the other, there's going to be an immaturity there in, in worship as we gather. If we have an experience where we don't walk away understanding what's being said and what's being preached, and if we can't grow from our experiences coming together, that's not a, a good modal, mode or way to grow as a disciple. But if we have the other extreme where it's just all about encouraging, uh, or or the the flip side of where it's just all about me, or it's just all about others, things can get weakened and and not be the way that they should. So Paul here is writing a church at Corinth, and he's acknowledging you guys are super gifted. Chapter 12, every one of you has a spiritual gift. Spiritual gifts come in all shapes. 
forms and fashions. We should be careful not to exalt one gift over the other. We're all a part of one body and we need each other. Then in chapter 13, he says that spiritual gifts must be done in love. Not seeking our own glory, but the glory of God and seeking to build up other people. And then in chapter 14, he gives us this, and this is our our main idea as we look at all 25 verses. This is what the, the word of God, this is what Jesus wants us to walk away with. He's telling us to use our spiritual gifts in love and watch God transform Christians and watch non-believers trust in Jesus. Use your spiritual gifts in love, and God will transform Christians, and non-believers will trust Christ. That's the two points that we're going to look at today. Is that when we use our spiritual gifts in love, those two things happen. The church is built up. The church is built up. Verses 1 through 12. In verse 13 through 25, non-believers trust in Christ. That's authentic worship. That's good corporate worship. See, Apostle Paul is writing this chapter. There's two gifts that he's emphasizing. The first is the gift of tongues, and the second is the gift of prophecy. Now, there's a lot of debate and maybe confusion around both, so I do want to spend a short time here before we dive into this text, um, explaining it to the best of my ability. Number one, when we talk about the gift of tongues, a basic definition that I think we all can agree on is that tongues is unintelligible speech given by God to build up the church. Unintelligible speech given by God To build up the church. Now it's unintelligible until someone interprets it. Okay? When it's first spoken, uh, people may not know what's going on or what's happening. But it's given by God for the edification of the church. And now uh, there's a debate on uh, exactly what, what is tongues in a sense of what is the language being spoken. And there's uh, two basic uh, views. One is that tongues is kind of a, a heavenly language. It's a language that maybe uh, no one else knows what's happening but, uh, but God. A person has just gotten so into the spirit as they, speaks to, as they speak to God, uh, things begin to happen and they're strengthened and they're encouraged. The second is that tongues is a, it's a language that is spoken in some other part of the world that most people who are present don't know. And maybe there's someone else there that actually is speaking, uh, knows that language, and God has given the speaker a, a special revelation. Someone else interprets it, maybe for a person there or for the broader audience, and, and that revelation encourages the church. Now, which is it? There's a great debate about it. Um, I do believe that, that one could uh, argue that there is a personal prayer language that can be done in private. That as we're praying, that the Holy Spirit can, can capture us and we can begin to speak. Or as Romans 8.28 say, groan in a way that only the Spirit knows. 
And then one can make the argument that maybe it's a, it's a language. I was talking to a, a professor and a friend of mine, Timothy Paul Jones. And he was telling me a story as, when he was pastoring about how there was this woman who was very troubled in his congregation. And this was a while ago. So uh, a detail or two may be, may be slightly off, but to my best of my, my, my memory. So if you're listening, Pastor Jones. And this woman was uh, just really troubled about something. And as much as they tried to encourage her, they, they couldn't. And there was this phrase that kept coming to mind, and she did not know what this phrase meant. And finally she shared it and said, this phrase keeps coming to mind. Well, Pastor Jones, knowing uh, different languages, went and, 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 and interpreted, sought to say, what does this phrase mean? And he found out what the phrase meant, and he rejoiced because he knew that this was an on-time word for this woman that God had hidden in such a way so that when it is said, that it would impact her, and it did. He told her that this is actually means this in this language, and this is what God is saying to you. So he said he would make an argument from the text and from personal experience that this is how God was working in the early church. The fact is, the church of Corinth was misusing the gift of tongues. When they came together to worship, they were using it and speaking it uh, out of turn, and they were also using it in a way in which it was all about personal edification. There was no interpreter. It wasn't about the body. It wasn't about revelation. It wasn't about them growing close together. It was about personal interpretation. And Paul is writing this to say, no, your spiritual gifts must be used in love to build up the church and to bring people to Jesus. Prophecy. Uh, Also, I'll make the note that uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul, when he's talking about love, he says, if I speak in the uh, tongue of man or, or and of angels... So maybe it's both going on. Maybe it's Acts chapter 2 as well as Romans chapter 8, the spirit making utterances that we don't quite understand. But it's prophecy. Well, here's a basic definition I think that we could all agree on. Prophecy is impromptu speech given by God to do three things. Verse Number three, to strengthen, to encourage, to comfort, verse number 27, and to convict. It's impromptu speech. Now, it could be one or two things. It could be what's called foretelling, where a person has a prophetic message about something in the future to encourage someone. Y'all with me? Foretelling. Uh, We see this in the book of Acts. Just research or look up the uh, guy by the name of Agabus and how he uh, speaks about the future to Paul and warns Paul of danger that's coming. Or it could be foretelling. That is, it's a word that has already been spoken by God, that's delivered to us, perhaps in the word, and now we're using the word to encourage the heart of other believers. Impromptu, that means it's not planned, it's not written out, it's not a a sermon, it's the Holy Spirit moving and saying, you know, I feel like the Lord is impressing something on my heart. Now, it's important that we know that prophecy, biblical prophecy, New Testament prophecy, is not on the same level as the written word of God. 
When someone says, or if someone says, I feel like the Lord is telling me to tell you this, we cannot hold on to that as we do God's word. God's word is complete. It is infallible. While the the words that we believe the Holy Spirit has given us, it may be an error because we are fallen creatures. And we may misinterpret what God has given us. So that's why Paul says when someone stands up to prophesy, he says, let the church discern and see whether or not it's from God. So we don't use prophecy as a trump card. Well, God told me. Right? Well, the, well but, 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 but the Bible says, but God told me. No, 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 no. Somebody say, no, 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 no. Oh, so I'll just make a quick note. A lot of what we see and what's being called prophecy is pretty interesting, isn't it? Look on maybe certain channels on television or perhaps you went to certain churches and the prophetic word is always about some blessing that's coming in the future. God's going to bless you. He's going to bless you. He's going to bless you. Oh, I should have bought a Honda. I see a new house in your future. But when we talk about biblical, biblical prophecy, and sometimes it cut going in and coming out. Oh, God loves you, my sister, but there's something going on that you're not telling us that the Lord wants you to repent. I don't know what it is, but, but just take it before the Lord. I remember I was at, a, now this is a good story. I was at a, a church when I was discerning whether or not God was calling me to come to Louisville. And there was another seminary that I was really thinking about. And I went with a, a friend of mine's uh, uh, to, to a church. It was her church. And, and there was a guest speaker there. And he was doing a, a good job, biblical job of preaching. And we were in about the third row. And I'll never forget in the middle of his sermon, he just stopped. And he said, young man, I don't know you. You don't know me. He says, but the Lord uh, has told me to tell you, in essence, to relax. Your application has been accepted. All right, that's what he said to me. I'm looking like, me? He's like, you. He's like, you just filled out that. And at the time, I had just filled out an application to come to Southern Seminary. And I was worried about whether or not I was going to get in and if that's where God wanted me to be. That was an impromptu speech. It wasn't weird. It wasn't. Amen. That's all I have to say about that. Amen. (laughs) So when we look at the Bible, we see these two issues are working. But Paul's main point is whether it's tongues or whether it's prophecies is this, is that we must use our spiritual gifts, whatever it is, whatever your gift is. Okay, we must use our spiritual gift in love. And based on 1 Corinthians 13, love is not self-centered. We don't use our spiritual gifts to build ourselves up. Okay, when we come together and worship, no, we come together and worship with the goal of building each other up and with the hopes that a non-believer, someone who doesn't know Jesus, will see us working together in love to exalt Jesus and to encourage one another and they will be transformed. So let's go through this really quickly. All right, looking at uh, verse uh, 1 through 12, we uh, again, we see this first point is that Uh, When we use our spiritual gift and love, uh, the church is built up. And he starts off in verse 1, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Now, why is he pushing prophecy over tongues? That's what we're about to find out. 
For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him. But he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people with their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself, but the one who prophesies builds the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. He said, I want you to speak in, with prophecy more. I want you to speak into each other's life. I want you to speak the gospel into each other's life in light, in light of the context of 1 Corinthians. Focus on that. Focus on walking closely with the Lord so you can impromptu encourage people in the Lord rather than speak in tongues. Why? Because when you speak in tongues and there's no interpreter, no one knows what you're saying. And though you may be having this mystical, edifying experience, the rest of the church is missing out. See, what does this teach us about God? This teaches us about God when we come together to worship. God wants us to be encouraged. God wants us to be strengthened. God wants us to be comforted. He wants us to be consoled. Isn't that a beautiful thing that God is sending the Apostle Paul to Corinth to say, don't stop focusing on just self-edification. Use your gifts to serve each other because God wants you all to be encouraged. God cares about your well-being. He cares about your peace of mind. He cares about your understanding of gospel truths. He cares about what you're going through through the week so that when you come together with other believers so much so, he says, you all don't be selfish and just think about you. Think about the other person. Let me use you to bring relief to them. It's not about coming to church because I got to get my word. I just got to get my worship on. I got to get my shout on. That's That's a part of it. And that's the part that we probably are are more easily swayed towards in a consumer society about me. Paul is saying, focus on us. Over and over and over in this text, he used the word upbuilding or built or, or built up. Over and over in this text, because God wants his church to be built up. Verse 6. So verses 1 through 5, Paul is really focusing on, okay, prophecy is better than tongues. And now in verses 6, really through up into a, a 19, he's going to make an argument why, why tongues is in fury. He's going to continue that argument. And he's going to use three illustrations from verses 7 to 12 to make that argument. Verse 6, now brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even less instruments, such as the flute or the harp, Do not give distinct notes. How will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. Verse 12. So, with yourself, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Did you catch what he's saying? He's three illustrations. He said, if two instruments are being played, a flute and a harp, but they're playing the same exact note, what, is, what good is it? 
It then goes on to say if a bugle, a, a war trumpet, a smaller war trumpet is being used, but it's not making the sound that it's supposed to make to warn people about war. What purpose is it? He then says, if two people are speaking a foreign language and neither one is knowing what the other person is saying, what good is it? How can they communicate? So again, what is he saying? He's saying that God values clarity when we come together to worship. You ever been to a church that's very mystical? You know, I went to a church and I had a pastor friend I love dearly who's taught me a lot about worship. And there's many strengths, again, many strengths in their worship. But one thing that, that I, I remember, I went to a church and, and they just, they praise God all day long. They sung about two songs for about an hour and a half that just kept repeating itself. And people were talking in tongues and slinging. And, and then afterwards I said, man, I noticed that you all didn't, didn't preach. He said, sometimes we do that. Sometimes we just come together. We have a good time in the Lord and we just sing songs and uh, let the spirit move. And that's what we do. Now, if it was gospel-centered songs where people could walk away and they could see uh, the, the good news of Jesus, the songs were talking about how good God is, how sinful we are, but how Jesus' grace makes up the difference if it was songs like that, that maybe that's, that's one thing, but coming together to have a personal, mystical experience is not what God is after. He's after his church gathering, and he's after clarity, speech that helps us to grow to look more like Jesus. It is a farce. It is a shame. If we gather together Sunday after Sunday, and when you all leave here, you barely know what the preacher talked about. Or if there was such a fog, right? It's a, it's a shame when, when people gather together and have a good time. The preacher just, just excites everyone, but, but when we're left, there's nothing that we can hold on to say, this is how... I need to respond to God's word. This is what God has done for me in Christ Jesus. But yet we know a lot of that goes on. Paul says, no, when you come together, you ought to be built up. It's the pastor's job to equip the church. It's Sunday school teacher's jobs to equip the church, to teach people about Jesus and about our mission. Catch this, catch this. It's the congregation's job to learn and to build up the church. Catch what I just said. It's not pastors and teachers' jobs to build up the church. It's our job to equip the church. It's the church's job to build the church. Notice what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about the gift of prophecy. He's talking about members speaking into each other's life, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that the church is built up. Pastors are general contractors. The church is built up as you all get to know each other and have conversations before and after, doing community groups, doing Sunday school and small. The church is built up as we walk together with Jesus and speak into each other's lives, words of encouragement and words of hope. As we remind each other of how much God loves us, that he saved us through his son, Jesus Christ, in spite of us. 
And that no matter what fear, no matter what pain, no matter what trouble we may find ourselves in, that we are not enemies of God, but we are friends with God and he is for us and not against us. The ecclesia, the church, is built on clear, intelligible speech. That's why he said, I prefer prophecy over tongues. Second. Second point. So when we use our spiritual gifts in love, non-believers trust Jesus. Non-believers trust Jesus. There is a Barriers are removed. Look at your Bible, verse 13. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Okay? Verse 15. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. Now, let's put a a pen right here. Paul is saying, if I'm praying in the spirit... Okay, but I don't know what I'm saying and no one else knows what I'm saying. He's saying it's not really that profitable. So he's saying pray that God will give you the interpretation of that tongue. Pray that God will give someone else the interpretation of that tongue. Why? So that the body will be built up. But here's something I want to point out. Worship is both mind and heart. See, sometimes as Baptists, can I be real this morning? No? Okay, I'm going to be real anyway. All right. <laughs> sometimes as, as Baptists within our, our, uh, our stream of, of thought, sometimes we can be very heady. I can be heady. Right? Meaning that, yes, we, we want to soak on deep truths. We want to, to appreciate God through our intellect. It's mind. Worship God with your mind. But God also wants to be worshipped with our hearts. He also wants us to express our emotions. He wants us to lift up holy hands, to sing to him. Now, now if that's not you and your personality, that's that's fine. But all of us, we have a tendency to lean probably one way more naturally than the other. Some of us, it's all about mind. It's all about worshiping God through thought, through meditation. Others, maybe it's all about shouting. Maybe it's all about lifting up holy hands. God wants us To do both. Worship the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. Love the Lord in that way. So Paul is bringing balance. He's saying, yeah, you guys are worshiping with your heart, but what about with your mind? What's what's your tendency? You know, I think God is calling us as a church to have that balance. To be free enough in the spirit to express ourselves when songs are going forth, to to close our eyes, to think deeply about the words, but also to say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for going to the cross. Thank you for dying in my place. Thank you for making me a, a new creation. Thank you, Father God, for the hope that I have through your son, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. What's that, that, that marriage between them both? Paul continues in verse 16. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? So when we come together in corporate worship, we should all be interacting with each other and agreeing with each other. 
Verse 17, for you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. So this outsider is someone who is coming from the outside, and he, he's probably a Christian, he or she, and they're visiting the church, but they see everyone speaking in tongues, and they can't be encouraged. Verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in the church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. That's a deep statement. But that also shows the selflessness of the Apostle Paul. When he gathered together with others to worship, he wanted Jesus to be the center of attention and not himself. And that's ironic. Spiritual gifts are gifts that come from the Spirit to empower or encourage the church. The role of the Holy Spirit is in our salvation is to to make our hearts acceptable to the gospel and, and also as we worship to show off Jesus. So if he gives us a gift, it's to show off Jesus. Paul said, rather than me speak a thousand words in a tongue which will benefit me, he said, I would rather have Five words to attribute to the body. Jesus loves you for sure. It's more beneficial than talking in tongues for an entire service. But what does this tell us about our spiritual gifts? It tells us that God wants us as the people of God to be selfless. To be other person focused when we gather together. To constantly be thinking about how can I encourage my sister? How can I encourage my brother? How can I mediate with the Holy Spirit in me, mediate the presence of Jesus in their life? That's when you know a church gets it, pastors. We know that that a church gets it when our arguments are, are, are kind of flipped upside down. When, when young people love their particular style of worship, but because God is moving in such a way, they're concerned about our seasoned saints. And they're saying, we've, we've sung a lot of songs that, that, that come and that benefit us. What about the seasoned saints and those, those great old hymns? And the seasoned saints, when they're in worship, they're, it's flipped now because now they're thinking, yes, we've, we've sung some songs that kind of build us up, but what about the young people? Who's that Kirk? That Kirk Tanklin, that Kirk, who, who is this guy? There's the spirit draws us to be selfless and other person focused. It draws us to be patient and kind and long suffering. It, it, it draws us to not be envious or jealous. The Holy Spirit, when he is at work, he supernaturally empowers us to be focused on Jesus and focused on others. That's what we want. Be a church that honors God with our mind and our heart and allows us to be other person focused so that church is built up, but also that non-believers will come to know Jesus. Let's continue in the text. Verse 20, brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. Right? He's saying that when we gather together and we're only focused about us, we're acting like children. If I remember in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, when I, when I was a child, I thought like a child. I spake like a child. He's saying the way of love is a way of maturity. It's Jesus-focused and other person-focused. 
In the law it is written by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Paul quotes Isaiah chapter 28 here. And what's happening in Isaiah chapter 28, the prophet is warning Israel that they will be taken into captivity. And when they get into captivity, that people of foreign tongue will rebuke them. They will rebuke them. Okay? This is also a picture of when the gospel went forth. Those unbelieving Jews, when they rejected the gospel, a sign of their, their curse or dis, their disbelief was that Gentiles now received the gospel and was preaching the gospel to themselves, to them. Verse 22, thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. He says the tongue is, not, is, is a sign not, not for believers. In that, in that context, no, excuse me, uh, not for believers, but for unbelievers. That the Lord allowed people to speak in a tongue that other people did not know. Um, so that the unbelievers would know something special is going on. Think about Acts chapter 2, unbelievers. Let's skip to verse 23. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesied and an unbeliever or outside enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. So he gives us two pictures. He's saying when you come together as a church, Corinth, if everybody is speaking in tongues and there is unbelievers or outsiders present... They will think that you're crazy. So what is he teaching us? This is what he's teaching. He's saying when we gather together and worship, we need to be mindful of people who don't know Jesus. Our goal when we come together should be to do everything with clarity. The gospel should be preached with clarity. The songs that are sung should be sung in clarity. There shouldn't be this insider language. There shouldn't be this my personal experience. We should be mindful of those who don't know Jesus. Uh, My pastor, friend, and mentor, Pastor Stan, it was a few years ago. We were talking on the phone. I was asking him how Sunday service went. He said it went great. He said there was a a person who did not know Jesus who came into our service. And after service, he came up to me. He was so excited. I said, oh, yeah. I said, what was it? The sermon was the singing. He said, yeah, I think those things were good. But he was so excited because he said the previous two churches he had went to, He didn't understand anything that was done in service. He said specifically the last one was a tongue where they were speaking in a language he didn't know. He said they were singing songs and everybody just was speaking in these weird languages. And he said, all I wanted to do was learn about Jesus. He said, I came today and it was just normal singing and you taught from the Bible and I learned about Jesus. That's what Paul is saying to the church of Corinth when you gather together. When you come together, you all are being selfish and you're focusing on your spiritual gifts. You're focusing on the the, the experience of worship for yourself. And you are not doing it in a way that is inviting people who don't know Jesus to know Jesus. When we gather together, from the time we hit the parking lot to the time we come to this church, Forest Baptist Church, we want to be mindful of the fact there will be people among us who don't know Jesus. We don't want to just overlook them to go to our close friend or our our group. 
We want to take time to know them, to, to love them, to, to hug them, to let them know that here, as it is in the kingdom of God, we care about you. And we're glad that you're here. We want to be a welcoming church, a, a loving church that is seeking to serve others. We want to open our eyes and say, Lord, not, make it not be about me when I come together with my Sunday school class, when I come together to my community group, when I, when I come together to worship. Help me to make it about you and to make it about the other person. And I've learned when, when, when I do that, when I'm able to get out my selfish bend and to focus on other people, my needs end up being met. Because God has put it on someone else's heart to encourage me and to help me to grow. So Paul said, I prefer prophecy over tongues because when people are prophesizing, when people are impromptu speaking truths into each other's lives, People are built up. Verse 24. That's why he says, but if all prophesies and an unbeliever or outsider enters. So he said, I'd rather everybody prophesy. I'd rather everybody be fluid with the good news and know how to speak to each other. So that, look at this. He is convicted by all and he is called to account by all. This is a non-believer. Verse 25. And the secrets of his hearts are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. What a picture. Paul saying, pursue love. Pray for spiritual gifts. Pray for the gift of being able to minister to someone. Because if we all have that gift, even though God may not give us all that gift, and we should be okay with that, trusting in him. But if everybody has that gift, when someone comes in who does not know Jesus, they're saying, this is peculiar. This is different. This is, this is weird. See, on my job, everybody's out for themselves. And in my family, everyone is concerned about themselves. But when I come to this church, everyone is seeking, Romans 12, 10, to outdo the other person in honor. And this message that they're preaching, it is almost too good to be true. They're not condemning each other. They're not putting guilt on each other. They're forgiving each other and they're pointing each other to this big God who forgives them and who loved them so much that he allowed his son to die in their place. What is going on? And the preacher, when he preaches, he's not preaching himself. First Corinthians 12, he's not seeking to be eloquent or put on a good show, but he's preaching a very peculiar message and it's. It's Christ crucified? It's about a, a God-man who died on Calvary's hill, on Golgotha's hill? An innocent man who allowed sin to be set upon him so that those who sin could go be free? It's about forgiveness and reconciliation and peace with God and man? He says when that is happening, when a church is loving each other supernaturally, but it looks normal and they're forgiving each other, 
and they're seeking to honor each other. And the Bible is being preached clearly. He says something begins to happen. He says the person who came in, they're convicted. What are they convicted about? They're convicted about their sinfulness and God's greatness. So much so, he says, that they bow down on the ground and they worship God. And isn't that what we want as a church? Don't we want people to experience what we experienced when we came to know Jesus? When we came to see our own sin and his goodness? Don't we want that of every people, every nation, and every tribe? Don't we want that of people from Petersburg, Newburgh, and Lexington? Don't we want that of our co-workers and our, our cousins? If we want that, he says, four things need to happen. You need to love and pursue love. It's not something you make yourself do. You pursue a person. God is love. You seek clarity in what you do. Be as clear as possible. You be concerned about other people's growth in Jesus. I'm not talking about sin hunting. I'm talking about caring for them. You live as an evangelist, knowing that God, wants to save. I'm excited about what God has for us, Baptist Church. And I'm excited about our future. I'm excited about what God is going to do in this place as a body as we surrender to how he wants us to worship. Both with our heart and our mind. To God alone be glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for allowing us to experience you through your word and through worship, Lord. Help us, Lord, to know you. Help us, Father God, to to know each other. Help us to encourage and comfort each other and strengthen each other. Help us to be fully devoted disciples of Jesus. Help us to get into community and relationships and get out of our individualistic ways and lives so that we can encourage each other. Help us to embrace our spiritual gifts. Help us not to walk in self-pity nor in in arrogance. Help us to walk with with a simple goal to, to make you known and to know you. Reach this city through your body. Help us to value your holy word and not some special revelation that we're pursuing apart from your word. In Jesus' name, amen.